0: It's Oprah on stage. Oprah Winfrey. I said, well, you know, I'm going to be there for Global Citizen. I mean, she goes, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) We want to do something even more special. We want to honor him, celebrate him, and let the people know that his life mattered and continues to have meaning. And so I was just thinking about last night. This is my 36th visit to South Africa. I have been here 36 times, and I keep coming back because I love this country, and I love its people. And I left campus, I left the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy campus in Henley today. I come at least once a year, to teach a class called life 101 it's everything i wish somebody had told me before i graduated so i come to teach the matrix but i left the matrix today to be here with you to celebrate the birth of opportunity the birth of hope the birth of freedom the birth of nelson mandela i loved him so and he was my favorite mentor because he was a man who could have sought revenge, but instead he sought reconciliation. He was a man who could have and had every right to hate his oppressors, but instead he hated their policies. And he was a man who could have actually crushed his opponents with his power, but instead he chose to defeat them without ever dishonoring them. He was a man who could have been filled with bitterness, but instead of fueling himself with rage, for the years that were taken from him and the pain that he endured in prison for 27 years, as most of us would have been filled with rage and anger and fury. He filled himself with gratitude for the lessons that he learned and for the friendships that he forged, even in prison. He was a man, because of those 27 years, was not allowed to raise his children. But instead, he raised a nation. And our world, and South Africa in particular, is the better for it. I have to tell you that I met Madiba when he came to the United States, and it was like coming home. And I have to say that I had decided that I was going to do something for South Africa. The year I was building my home in in, uh, Los Angeles, and anybody who's ever built a home or built a kitchen or remodeled a bathroom, when they tell you it's going to be done, it's never done. (laughs) So I'd been told that my house was going to be done, finished by Christmas uh, 2002, and of course it wasn't. And I started to think about what is the ideal thing to do for Christmas, since I can't be in the house and have the Christmas that I wanted. And I started thinking about when I was growing up poor with my mother in a town called Milwaukee, and my mother was on welfare, and there was my mother, my half-brother and sister and I, and my mother called me into her room on Christmas Eve to tell me that there would be no Christmas this year. And I was like 12 years old and I thought, what, what happened to Santa Claus? (laughs) I kind of was getting on to that Santa Claus thing, but you know, you get more presents if you believe. So, (laughs) my mother said, there will be no Santa Claus this year, I can't afford it. And my first reaction was shame. My first reaction was embarrassment. Because I thought, what will my story be? What will I be able to say to all the other kids who talk about what they got for Christmas and I got nothing for Christmas? And I was embarrassed about that because it confirmed what I had been feeling. Because you know when you're poor, you don't exactly know you're poor until somebody tells you you're poor. (laughs) And then you see other people and you go, well, I really am poor. (laughs) I kind of had a feeling I was poor. Now I really... Damn hey, poor, Santa Claus is not coming to our house. So I was resigned that I would have to go back to school and have no story. And that night around midnight, three nuns showed up at our home. And the nuns brought us my brother, my sister, and myself toys. I had wanted a Barbie doll, but I got a Tammy doll, and I was very happy to have that Tammy doll. But the real gift that the nuns gave us was allowing me to see for myself that we were not forgotten. And I never forgot it. I never forgot it. So so this Christmas 2002, I decided, since I can't get in my own house and have the Christmas that I want, what would be the ideal Christmas? I thought of Madiba. I thought of South Africa, and I made a decision to come to South Africa and do something I call Christmas Kindness. I brought 50 people from the United States, I hired another 50 people here in South Africa, and we took caravans from one province to another, thousands and thousands and thousands of toys and books and clothes to give to children. I did that even though there were many people who said, it's not sustainable. (laughs) Nobody wants to do anything unless it's sustainable. It's not sustainable. Why are you buying toys for children? It's not sustainable. Why are you buying them books? It's not sustainable. I said, but the memory will be sustained. (laughs) And so, I make these plans to come to South Africa in 2002 and Nelson Mandela hears about the plans and he says, you must stay at my home. He says, "Grassa and I want you to stay at our home. I said, like, in the house? <laughs> like, in the same place where you sleep? He says, yes, our home in Kunu can be your home base. So I said to Stedman, my life partner, oh my god, Nelson Mandela has invited us to stay at his house. What am I going to do? I said, I don't know. It's, it's 10 days and nights, Stedman. It's 10 days and nights. Who stays at anybody's house for 10 days and nights? I said, I don't have 10 days and nights worth of conversation. I don't know what I can say. I can, I can get through one day, maybe one night. I don't have 10. And Stedman said... It's Nelson Mandela, you don't have to talk, why don't you try listening? (laughs) Such good advice, Stedman. So every day and every night, I had 10, it is the glory, the most amazing, Fantastical thing that has ever happened to me of all the things that have happened in my life. I got 10 days and nights and 29 meals with Nelson, Mandela, and Grasso Michel. And every night I'd sit at dinner, he would wait at the table, I'd sit on his right hand side, and he would talk about life and his years in prison and his experiences. I I, I wanted to take notes. I wanted to sit at dinner with a notepad, but I didn't. But what I learned in those 10 days and nights and 29 meals was that his goodness, his integrity, his soul could not be contained in a seven by nine foot cell. And I'm, I'm here today to remind us that even now, His spirit lives. Nelson Mandela passed five years ago and sometimes it feels like it was forever ago and sometimes it feels like it just happened a few weeks ago. But I, sitting at his funeral, I could sense and feel that I didn't think he had passed away from us. Instead, it felt like he was passing through us. Because we are Mandela's children, and we are his legacy, and his legacy speaks to us. Each time we choose unity over division, his legacy speaks to us each time we decide that we are going to fight for equality over domination and love over hate. He was the son of Chief Henry Mandela of the medieval clan of the cosa speaking Timbu people. And he rose to become not only the leader of this great nation, but a citizen of the world. And he, I believe, the spirit of him abides with every man, every woman who listens with humility, everyone who says yes to breaking down a barrier and not to putting up a wall, who educates rather than retaliates. He is with us every single time somebody somewhere casts a vote for democracy and casts a vote for freedom. He lives. So I was nervous at first going to Kunu and after a while, after about six meals, (laughs) I became comfortable with Madiba and so comfortable that we could sit in silence. We could sit in silence and share the paper, sit in the living room talking about the problems that ravaged the nation then and now. He was most concerned always about poverty and its devastation to people's lives. He was most concerned about how poverty bred violence, how poverty brought about a lack of health care and a proper education. He was concerned then, as I am concerned now, about a generation of young people who are not being empowered with the quality of education that they need and that they deserve to fulfill their natural-born intelligence and potential. Young people who are discouraged and turned to alcohol and drugs and crime or worse. And I would say it's hard sometimes not to be discouraged and so blessed easy to become disillusioned to let apathy set in. Mediva himself sometimes felt discouraged. He was, after all, human. But he also felt the collective heartbeat of his people. He knew that mountains could be moved, the gridlock could be eradicated, if we were all to join forces and work together in service for something greater than ourselves. That is what he believed and it is what I know to be true. One of my favorite quotes is from another powerful leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, who once said, not everybody can be famous, and if he were alive today, he would say, no matter how many selfies you take. (laughs) Not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great, because greatness is determined by service. And so, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your job, whatever your calling, whatever defines your life, if you use the paradigm of service, how can I be used for a cause that is greater than myself? How can I be used by the power that has created all beings for something bigger than me? That is the question. And asking that question, I understood that when Nelson Mandela got discouraged, he didn't despair. When he got discouraged, he got busy. He never permitted the darkness to extinguish his light. And I am here today to offer a prayer, a prayer, that we all continue to live in his light, to connect to his vision and strive for it. That light never shined brighter for me than in 2007 when I opened the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls in support of Mediva's mission to alleviate poverty by educating girls. So this is how it came about. Mediva and I were just sitting in the living room. We were chit-chatting as we do. And He passed me the paper and there was a story about a young boy who had lost his grandmother, lost his home, and would not be able to be educated unless somebody was going to support this boy. And we started talking about what is the answer to eradicating poverty. And I said, the only answer I knew was education. He said, yes. And I said, well, one day I would actually like to build a school and it would be a school for girls because I believe that women are going to save South Africa. We love the men, but we believe the women are the ones to do it. I said that to Beniba, he said, yes. And he said, you want to build a school? Now, I was thinking, sometime, yeah, I do want to build school. And he got up that moment, called the Minister of Education, who was Kata Asmal, and asked Carter Osmal to come to the house because Oprah wants to build a school. I was thinking, not today, but... So I built a school in 2007. I built a school to give girls who look like me, who came from backgrounds like me, who didn't have the means, but had the brain power and the will to succeed. I wanted to give those girls a chance. And I will say that the experience of watching these daughters of South Africa find their voice and find their grace has made me think long and hard about the universe that our young leaders are graduating into today. Some of my girls are here today. Girls who graduated from my leadership academy have gone all over the world. Some graduated from universities in the United States. Two have graduated from Oxford in London. Some come from UJ, from NMMU, from WITS, from UCT, Pretoria, Stellenbosch, and Rhodes. Girls, stand up from the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy. And we just got our first Doctor graduated from Stellenbosch Bosch. to Tepi. Tepe Bartimella, stand up turn around I have right now hundred and ninety one girls in college 20 of them in the United States that is the answer to the question of how can I serve. So here's my hope, not just for my girls, but for South Africans and human beings everywhere. I hope that we are able to continue to create a culture that recognizes the responsibility that we have to one another. Here's the truth. Each one is supposed to teach one when you learn you teach when you get you give so when i first realized that i had enough money to take care of myself the first thing i did was take care of my parents take care of my family and then i started to think about who else can i serve i want to serve people who are like me who come from circumstances like me i want to give them a chance to better themselves And so, the dream for this academy had been birthing itself within me for years. Because from the time I started to make just enough money to make sure that my bills were paid, I started to ask the question, who else can I serve? Who else can I serve? So it doesn't have to be a big thing. I know everybody can't build a school. Everybody can't go out and, 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 and make uh, uh, legendary promises, but you can take care of the person who's closest to you. You can offer help, you can offer assistance, you can ask the question, how can I be used for something greater than myself? And in doing that, you align with Madiba's vision both compassionate and practical. You see, because he understood that he knew that when one of us is wounded, all of us bleed. He knew that if one of us is lacking, all of us are somehow affected. And he had tremendous hope for humanity, but make no mistake, it was an active hope. Hope without a plan is meaningless. So I opened the Leadership Academy because it was imperative for me to begin to move beyond just hoping for a better future for South African girls and women. We all need to roll up our sleeves wherever you are, whatever you can do, and begin to build a new future. And we need to do it and pay forward everything that you have been given we must bond our hope to action, and let those actions align with our values. I am, as you may have heard, a big fan of Michelle Obama's book. Her memoir, Becoming, I recommend it for everybody. And the first thing I loved about it was its title. Because, at least to me, the word Becoming suggests that we all are forever evolving constantly learning how to give more of ourselves to each other but first filling your own cup and i want to say this to the women for a long time i was afraid when people would say to me oh she's so full of herself oh she thinks she's so much she's so full of herself i would hide behind that and try to say oh no 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 i'm not full of myself and i'm not full of myself until I recognize that unless you're full, you don't have enough to give to anybody else. You gotta fill your own cup, you gotta take care of yourself. And there is no taking care of yourself unless you take care of your spiritual self first. In order to be whole, you've got to take care of your spiritual, emotional self. So fill your own cup, so that when people say you're full of yourself, you say, yeah, baby, I'm so full, my cup's running over. Amen. My cup is running over. And when you fill your cup to running over, you then have enough to give to other people. But if you don't fill your own cup, other people will drain you dry. (laughs) They will exhaust you, they will tire you, they will wear you out, and you will never have enough energy to do what you are actually created to do. To fill yourself, make yourself whole, then offer that gift to the world. So, we are always becoming, always being able to stretch beyond this moment, doing your best in this moment, that leads to the best in the next moment, to become people who create a sense of unity and cultivate inclusion. Medieval hoped that we were becoming a world of of, of tolerance, that we were becoming a world of diversity, of diverse conversations and thinking and skin colors and sexual orientations and talents and dreams. He believed in our future. So I want to say a word to the young dreamers of this nation. Mandela said that a winner is a dreamer who never gives up. So my offering to you today, young people, is never give up. Because it is your fresh perspectives that are going to bring about unprecedented innovation for this country. We need you. You are in the majority, but I realize that the statistics are abysmal, that you're still the most vulnerable in the labor market, with more than one in every three of you out of work. Do not give up. Find a way. And I want you to know that your day will come, it's coming, it's on its way, because of you. And I want you to know that I applaud your resilience. The thing that's so remarkable about every single girl that comes to my school is all of the trials and all of the traumas they've been through. Most girls have experienced six major traumas by the time they get to my school. And in spite of that, they still rise. And so I say to all the young people, you too can rise because you are capable and you are brimming with the wisdom of all who came before you. One of my favorite inspirations is from a poem that Maya Angelou wrote called To Our Grandmothers. And in that poem, she has a line that says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. I come as one but I stand as 10,000. And I am telling you that every time I walk into a boardroom and I'm the only woman in the boardroom or the only person of color within a 50 kilometer radius, radius, there's not even a kind of brown person in the room. I walk into the room and I whisper to myself, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. your 10,000? Who are your 10,000? I come and I stand. I stand with my mother and my grandmother and her grandmother and her grandfather and her grandmother and her grandfather before them. I stand as 10,000 remembering the stories of my ancestors. It's important to know the stories from which you've come and be guided by those stories and their transformative power on your life. Take the lessons from their lives, take their sacrifice, take their courage, take their hope, take their strength, take their guts, take their resilience, take their warrior spirit and take their crowns and put it on your head and wear it. and recognize the ways large and small in which our ancestors are woven into our own story. Tell your story, tell your story. One of the things I've learned about all of the girls who come to my school and come from such trauma, when the girls first started coming to the school, they had such shame about their stories. And now we have a policy at our school, we are a trauma-informed school that knows and recognizes there's power in the story, that the story can liberate you, that everything that's ever happened to you, no matter how devastating, no matter how sorrowful, no matter how challenging, there is not one thing that happened to you that did not also happen for you and when you get when you get that when you get that everything that's ever happened has happened to build your strength and that strength time strength time strength time strength equals power equals power so when you've been through so many trials and so many tribulations, what it does to you if you allow yourself to open up to the story that's come before you, that's helped to make you, what happens is it gives you power. So I think it's only fitting that I close today with letting Madiba have the last word. It was difficult to know which words should I choose. Do I end with his wish for... You may, he says, may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. Do I leave you with his insight that poverty is not an accident? Do I leave you with understanding that like slavery and apartheid, poverty is man-made and can be removed by the actions of human beings or the notion that if people can be taught to hate, they can also be taught to love. He used to say, and this is my favorite, I never lose, I either win or I learn. So, so let's all take, take some comfort in that, never lose either win or learn. I say there's no such thing as failure. Failure is just a mistake trying to move you in a better direction. And if you understand that you never really lose, you always have the opportunity to learn from every every mistake, we all win. And I would say, if I know Madiba, and I am so grateful that, and forever grateful that I did, he would want you to be inspired by these words of his. He said, sometimes it falls upon a generation to be great. You can be that great generation. Let your greatness blossom. And to that I say amen and happy birthday my Debo)